Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This morning, um, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to be in God's word this morning, and so you can join us. Um, if you're newer to our church, or, or if this is your first time, or, or perhaps this isn't, but we'll talk about it anyway. Um, over the last several weeks, um, we've, been, we've been talking about our need to be healed. And, I, and I, hope, I hope that this series has been meaningful for you. And I hope that as we've talked about all of these different things, that the Lord has met you and, and perhaps you've experienced some healing in your own life. We, we've talked about you know, a, a number of different areas where the Lord needs to, to heal us, a number of different places. As we've talked about healing our broken relationships and we've talked about healing our anger and healing our sin and, and healing all of these things as we've, we've talked about our need to move forward in our lives in health. That we don't just want to want to get beat up and knocked around and have life beat us up and chew us up and spit us out and, and then we just keep trying to move forward. But that we, we I believed as, as, as a pastor of our church and in, in our life that we just needed to take some time and, and not just try and keep pressing forward but to stop and as Tracy talked about a little bit, rest in the presence of God but rest in the presence of God for him to heal us. So that we don't just have to keep trying to, to push forward, but to be able to move forward in health and wholeness, brought back together by, by the power of God and move forward without a limp and without having to drag our foot behind us, but be able to move forward with confidence and power and, and boldness. And that's, that's what we've been talking about. Now this week, um, we are going to continue that series, and what we're going to do is, is we're going to talk about what it looks like or, or how we can be healed by, by one of the most prominent things, one of the most significant things and terms that, that we've had to all wrestle with over the last couple of years is we've walked through the season of COVID and walked through all that that's meant for us. Um, one of the things that, that was, was palpable and difficult and weird and hard for us to really understand is, is we, we're all, we've all been instructed and, and we've all been talked to, you know, we, we're going to talk about how we're healed from, I guess, the, the effects of separation. As, as we were told time and again that, that we need to isolate that we need to be socially distant, that we need to keep, keep apart, we need, we need to stay at home. And, and, you know, there were reasons for all of that, but that doesn't change the fact that for each one of us, we were suddenly put in a situation where, where God had created us for community. That from the beginning, the very beginning, God got one person in before he said, it's not good for them to be alone. And yet circumstances and, and society and all of these things determined you need to be alone. And so we walked through this season where, where we were left on our own and we weren't allowed to go together and meet and we weren't allowed to gather as the church and we weren't allowed to gather as family. We weren't able to do some of the things that we would normally do. And for so many of us, 
that isolation, that disconnection, that, that removal from community took a toll on us. And for some of us, perhaps for many of us, um, we began to feel like maybe the world had forgotten us. Out of sight, out of mind. And, and as we walked through this season where we were, we were told that you, you need to, to isolate, that it became a little too real for many of us. That we were not just isolating, but we were isolated. And we were not just keeping distance, but we were, we were told and we, were, we felt as if we were, we were distanced from everyone. For people who thought, who we thought were our friends, or, or our families, or people we thought of as family, or, or even for some of us, our church, and we, we were left with a deep sense of loneliness and abandonment from people who we thought, perhaps people who had even said, I'll always be there for you, don't worry. And then we were left on our own. And so what I want to do today is I want to highlight for us a, a couple of stories or texts around people from the Bible who, who had experienced loneliness, deep moments of loneliness and abandonment, and, and see what we can understand about what it means for God to heal us. The Bible is, is full of lonely people. Um, as you, you walk through Scripture, as you read through Scripture, we see over and over again lonely people. Imagine being some of the, or imagine the loneliness of some of the people in the New Testament. Imagine being the demonized man in, in Luke chapter 8. That, that as we're introduced to him, what we're told about him is that he has to live in a cemetery. Because he can't live anywhere else. No one can, can handle him. No one can. And so the only place where he can find relief from society and where society can find, or find relief from him is for him to go live in a cemetery. That's harsh. That's lonely. Or imagine being the leper in Mark chapter 1 with a contagious disease that others lived in fear of. That, that the moment that somebody would accidentally come close to you, you had to correct that. That the moment that someone accidentally would even get too physically close to you, you had to shout, unclean, get away from me. That's, that's loneliness. Imagine being the, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 as, as society wants to kill you. That's an isolating spot to find yourself in. That's a lonely when you look around and, and everybody in the room wants you dead. You're, you're going to feel on an island there. Or Nicodemus in John chapter 3 coming to, to see Jesus in the dark because he's afraid of what everybody else might think if he does. That even the desire to get close to God for him could, could be a lonely moment because he's, he doesn't want anyone to know what's going on in his life. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we read a story about Elijah. And it's a safe bet to, to, to say that Elijah probably wasn't just feeling alone, but was feeling lonely when he hid for a night in a cave on Mount Horeb. This moment in his life comes on the heels of, of one of the most 
incredible miracles that we read about in Scripture. One of the defining ones, one of the ones that if you grew up in church, undoubtedly you heard about in Sunday school. If you've gone to church for any amount of time, undoubtedly you've heard people preach on this. He, he defeated the prophets of Baal in one of the most memorable showdowns in all of the Bible where, where they pray and they pray and they pray and they, they set up two altars and they say, well, let's see who's, whose God is the true God. And they set up two altars and they pray and they pray and they pray and nothing happens. And they spend hours and hours and there's hundreds of these guys all praying and, and trying to get their God to do something. And, and then Elijah comes up and he prays and God sends fire from heaven. It's, it's this incredible moment where God shows himself mighty on behalf of his people and on behalf of his, his, his prophet Elijah. It's this incredible moment. But it doesn't lead to an incredible follow-up. Instead of this being a moment where, where the nations and the people repent and turn to God. I mean, after all, why, how could they not? Didn't they see what God did? Instead, the queen puts a bounty on him. He wants him dead. And he has to run for his life. This incredible victory that God delivers into his hands. This, this story that we read about all these thousands of years later. And we all still go, amazing. And, and what happens is he's got to run and hide for his life. He leaves his servant behind and he ends up in the wilderness alone. And he even has a moment where he prays that he would die. That, that that's, God, would you just take, take my life? And he then journeys for 40 days and 40 nights. And he, he sits in a deep funk wondering what difference his work, his life, his ministry, all that he's done for God, what difference did any of it make? He, he was depressed. He was dejected. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, as Elijah sits alone in a cave, the presence of God shows up to him. And in verse 9, we, we read this. Um, there he, Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of, of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What a question for God to ask. What a question to be. If you're Elijah and you're on the run for your life because you're serving God and, and, and you're, you're do, trying to do all these things for him and, and you have this incredible victory and, and just... A few weeks later, you're living inside of a cave because everybody wants to kill you. And, and God comes to you and says, what are you doing here? Oh, got to feel kind of like a kick in the gut. You know, what, what do you mean, what am your God, if anybody knows what I'm doing here, I don't know, you tell me, God, what am I, what am I doing here? You answer that. That's a question I have for you. What am I doing here? And then Elijah answers God, and, and this is what he says. I, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He says, God, I'm trying. I'm the one trying here. I'm doing everything I can. God, I have been doing everything for you, risking my life day in, day out, just to serve you. And I, I stand in front of hundreds of people who all want me dead. And I, I pray, and you do this amazing miracle, and, and now they just want me dead some more. He says, the Israelites, all the people that I'm meant to be leading, that you've sent me to, that you've given me the, the, this ministry to, they've all turned away from you. 
They've rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. Then he says this, I am overwhelmed with troubles. Oh, that's not where we're at. I missed the rest of the verse. He wrote right this, I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. I am the only one left. God, I'm all by myself. Everybody else has turned their back on you. Everyone. I I am doing my best to follow you, Lord. I'm doing my best to be with you. I'm doing my best to be who you've called me to be. And I'm left here all, all alone. And anyone who is alive, they want me dead. Like, anybody who isn't gone, they just want it. So I'm, I'm left here all by myself. Elijah's a broken man. He sees himself as having done everything that God has called him to do. And, and what's his reward for all of his hard work? Hiding for his life in a cave. I'm sure in his mind, for Elijah, things should have been different. His life should have gone differently. He stood up to hundreds of so-called prophets. Elijah raised people from the dead. He was incredible. His life demonstrated the power of God. He was the victor. He should have been victorious. He should have been loved. This should have been a moment in the history of Israel where the people repented and turned their lives back to God and there would be Elijah Day and it would be incredible. He would be celebrated. He would be amazed. His birthday would be a holiday. It would be awesome. Maybe they dedicate part of the temple to him. He was amazing. And now he sits in a cave all by himself, alone, and God comes to him and says, what are you doing here? And this brings me to Psalm, Psalm 88. Not, not because Elijah wrote it, a, a man named Herman the Ezraite wrote it, but he wrote it about the same kind of feeling. That he felt like he was abandoned. He was despondent as if there was no hope for him in his situation. He, he felt far from friends and family to care for him. And if you read the psalm, if you, if you were to go read all of Psalm 88, you can feel his raw pain through the words he's chosen to use to describe his feelings. His choice, or his word choice, largely included those associated with death. He talks about grave and pit, slain, deaths. I'll, I'll read you a handful of, of the verses. Starting in verse 3, he says, I am over Overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lay in the grave, whom you have remembered no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You you have overwhelmed me with all your waves. And why does he feel like this? 
What, what has gone on in his life that's brought him to the place where this is how he feels about his relationship with God and, and where he finds himself? Verse 8, he will say, You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. In the last verse of the psalm, Psalm 88, verse 18, he continues that and he just says, You have taken from me friends and neighbors. Darkness is my closest friend. In this psalm, he, he, he expresses his belief that, that God was responsible for his troubles. That he felt as if God was nowhere to be found and that God was angry with him. He says, I, everything about my life is horrible right now. And it's because, God, you've taken away my community. You've taken away my friends. You've taken away my family. I sit here all alone and life is horrible. And we see so, so much of what Elijah says when he says, I'm the only one left. I'm sitting here all, all by myself. I, I look around at my life and my circumstance and all I, I see is me. Now, the, the writer's words, Elijah's words, were, were true in that they truly expressed how he felt at the time. But back in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we, we see how, how God responds to what Elijah has to say. We see how God responds to this, this feeling of, I'm the only one, I'm all alone, all by myself. Verse 11 says, Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the, present, or in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there came a gentle whisper. And, and, when, and when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? God asks him the same question. What, what are you doing here? And I want you to notice something that takes place here. Because Elijah responds to God's, God's question. God has given him this incredible picture. There, there's this wind that tears the mountain apart. There's an earthquake. There's a fire. And there's all these incredible things. And, and God's not in it. But then, then God whispers to him in a still small voice. And he says to him, what are you, what are you doing here? Verse 14, see if, if this sounds familiar to you. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I missed it again. I am the only one left, 
and now they are trying to kill me too. See, God shows Elijah, in this moment, you are not alone. That the presence of God is with him. He shows them these big, gigantic, amazing moments and says, if this is where you're looking for me, you, won't, you don't have to look at this to find me. You don't need these big, grand, giant things. The presence of God is with you and it doesn't have to be this, this crazy, crazy thing for you to experience God. The presence of God is, is with you wherever you are, whatever you're experiencing. Life may be full of these, these big grand moments, moments like the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. These are the kinds of moments where, where we should see God, where we should feel God. That's what God should feel like. The presence of God should feel like a mountain being torn apart. But God says, here, I'm here. But there's these moments, it's big, it's powerful, it's majestic. And, and maybe that's the kind of thing that Elijah thought he deserved. I deserve the presence of God that tears the mountains apart, that shakes the foundations of the earth. I called down fire from heaven. You, God, you, you need to show yourself on my behalf. Like the writer of Psalm 88, Elijah was upset with his circumstances and upset with the God that allowed these circumstances to become what they were. And, and so Elijah was looking, maybe even feeling like he deserved something like this. How often in our lives can we fall into the, that kind of thinking? We, we want, we demand, we expect the big showiness of God. When, when I expect God to move in my life, tear apart the mountains. Send an earthquake. Fire from heaven. And if I don't get that, I just get a, a still small voice. What's that worth? It's barely more than I had before. God is, is showing Elijah that to find God, you can't just look for these moments. You, you can't just look for the mountains to be crumbling around you. That, that if you, if you want to find God, you can't just look there. But instead, we need to to be still and know that I am God. We need to look for God in the whisper. We, we need to look for God in not just big, dramatic, earth-shattering moments, but in the quiet and the stillness of life. But what we see is that the quiet, stillness whisper that's not what Elijah wanted. He, he didn't want to know that his loneliness, his abandonment was going to be, was going to try and, and be solved by a gentle whisper. And so when Elijah hears that God is with him in, in, in the gentle whisper, notice it didn't change anything for Elijah. 
his response after God had shown him, my presence is here with you. Now, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah gives verbatim the exact same answer he gave before God showed him all of this. That sometimes we, when we tell this story, that we, we stop before Elijah's response. That, you know, God showed and he, and he passed by, and, and then he, but then God showed up in the still, small voice. And we go, wow, isn't that amazing? But in the context of the story, Elijah doesn't care. He doesn't know, oh God, I, now I know where I am. I'm in the present. Let me take off my shoes. I didn't realize I was on, I was on holy ground. I'm, I'm in the presence of God. He said, God, did you not hear me the first time? It's great you sent all of this stuff, but it's still the same thing. I, I'm the only one left, and they're still trying to kill me. Everyone who was with me, they're all dead. And everyone who's left, they all want me dead. I'm the only one left. I'm, I'm all by myself. God had shown him that, that he was not all alone. That when the noise and the craziness of life were gone, that God was, was still there with him. That, that the God who sent fire from heaven on the mountaintop in front of hundreds of prophets and showed himself mighty and strong, that that wasn't the sign that God was with Elijah. God was with Elijah because God was always with Elijah. But for Elijah in his heart, the promise of the presence of God in his life at that moment didn't quite feel like enough. And so when God showed Elijah, here I am with you. Here I am. My presence is with you. You don't need to look for these grand, incredible moments. Just rest in the knowledge that I am always with you. Elijah's response was, nope, not good enough. You're going to have to do better than that, God. Because it's great that you're sitting here with me in a cave, but you're sitting here with me in a cave while everyone wants to kill me. You're going to have to do better than that. See, that's the point of loneliness. Loneliness doesn't come from being alone. Loneliness comes from thinking you're alone. From feeling you're alone. Loneliness doesn't come from being alone. Loneliness comes from feeling like you're alone. You can be alone in a group of people. Maybe you're, you're here this morning in this room full of people and you think to yourself, I've never felt more alone than I do right now. And it's not because you're alone in the room, but it's because we feel like we're alone. God says to Elijah, Elijah, my son, you are not alone. But that doesn't change Elijah's heart. This is, no, God, I am still all alone. Now, I'm not trying to justify or condone the heart of Elijah that, that says that God being with him wasn't enough. That that's, that's not what I want you to take away. That's not what I want you to hear this morning. That, that, well, yeah, the presence of God is with you, but who cares? 
that that's, that's not what I'm, I'm trying to tell you, but, but I'm trying to bring this home for us because for many of us, this is the reality of where we found ourselves. The fact that we struggled and fought against loneliness and for some of us, the knowledge that God was right there with us in the middle of all of our loneliness wasn't enough to compensate for the people in our lives that were not there with us. That there are times in our lives where, where we will, out of love and compassion with every ounce of truth and, and knowledge that what I'm saying is true, I will say to someone, well, you know, you weren't really there by yourself. God was there with you. And that doesn't really matter for them because they were still there all by themselves. And this is the place Elijah finds himself in. But when we feel lost, when we feel alone, we can turn to the pages of Scripture to see what God's heart is for us when we're in that place. God will talk about what his heart for us is when we feel like that. We read this in Matthew chapter 18. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep? And one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the other 99 that did not wander off. And in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. See, Jesus tells us this story to show us to reassure us that God's heart is for us. When we feel isolated and alone, when, when we feel like we're alone, when we are alone, whatever the circumstances that led us to that moment, see, that sheep wandered off. That's probably the greatest sin a sheep can commit. It wasn't that, you know, a wolf came and took the sheep and, it, you know, so whatever the, our circumstances are, you know, that's the worst thing a sheep can do is wander off. If, if you look at your life and you say, I feel alone and I think it's because I've done the worst possible thing I can do. Okay, you're in the same boat as the sheep. But God, whatever the reason why we're all alone, whatever the reason why we feel all alone, whatever it is that's going on in our life and our story that we feel like we're lost and all alone, Jesus tells us this story so that we can know that in that moment, God's coming after us. We sang the song last week that'll say, there's no shadow you won't light up. There's no, I'm so bad at this. There's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't knock down. And there's something else that's no that God won't do. And I don't remember what it is because I'm really bad at remembering song lyrics. But, but there's, God is going to come after you. That's Jesus' promise to us in this. That when you're alone, when you're by yourself, when you're lost, when you're isolated, when you are away from everything you know and love and no one else is there for you, Jesus is coming for you. He's coming for you. When the sheep was lost and all alone, God noticed. He didn't let the fact that he had 99 
safe and secure sheep blind him to the fact that he had one sheep all on its own. Sometimes that, that's how we can feel, is, is that, well, nobody's even noticing I'm not around. No one even noticed that I'm not there. No one, I, I haven't been to church in three weeks and nobody's called. No one noticed that I wasn't around. But what we see here is that, that Jesus doesn't look and go, well, I still got 99 good ones. Jesus sees the one and he goes after the one. And it says that he celebrates that he goes and finds the one. Jesus says that the, the heart of the father is the one who is alone. The very one that the father would go after and rescue. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 36 reveals one of the most powerful truths in the Bible. See, seen clearly through its structure in the original Greek language. This short verse that says, He will never leave you nor forsake you. In the original Greek, it contains four different negative Greek words. And what it's called is it's called emphatic negation. And it's one of the strongest forms of Greek, Greek negation. In English, if you put two negative words together, they cancel each other out. Right? Like if you, if you say like, you know, I never didn't go to the store. Well, th then that means you, you did go to the store. That, that you know, if we, put, if we put two negative things together, it actually turns them into a positive but, but in the original Greek language, that, that's not how that works. Is it's not necessarily a grammatical chain that we follow. But it's like adding on to each other. It's like, you know, saying I never didn't go to the store is like really reaffirming the fact that I never and I didn't go to the store. In Greek, they intensify, intensify the meaning. Thus, thus God, and so we have to translate it differently because if we, we translate it out the actual way that it's written is, is we would read it as these double negatives and we would go, so is God saying he, he would leave us? But, but what it's really saying, God is saying he will never, 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 never leave you alone. You are not alone even when you, you feel like you're alone. And if we go back to, to Elijah, back in 1 Kings, the second time he declares that he's all alone. In, in verse 18, we, we, we read the reality of, of the situation apart from Elijah's feelings. That, that in that moment, he, he feels like he's all by himself. And, and God says, my presence is with you. And Elijah says to him, I need more than that. And God says, Okay. And so in verse 18, back in 1 Kings, he says this, Yet I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose, whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have, have not kissed him. That's some Old Testament language for you. But God says, you're not all by yourself. There's 7,000 more like you. And then he tells them this. He says in, in verse 19, um, or in verse 19, we see that God sends him to find his protege and his followers, Elisha. So from this cave, God sends him and he says, so Elisha went from there, or Elijah went from there and found Elisha. 
Elisha becomes his, his closest confidant, his friend, his protege, the one who will take over his ministry from him. God takes him from the cave and brings him to relationship. Are you like Elijah this morning? Where you feel like I'm all by myself. I'm all alone. No one is with me. Perhaps it's time for us to, to allow God to reshape how, how we think about ourselves and the world around us. Even though the writer of Psalm 88, even though the, the Elijah felt like he was all alone, like God had abandoned them. God's own word in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says, He will never leave you nor forsake you. And these are the words that Jesus quotes to us in, in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20. After he gives the, good, the great commission. He says, and I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. So even though they couldn't feel God with him, even though they couldn't feel God with them, yet, yet God was there because he promised that he would be. So if you're feeling abandoned, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling lost, know that you're in good company. You're not the only one to feel that way. You're not bad for feeling that way. God doesn't condemn Elijah because of his lack of faith. He doesn't condemn Elijah because I said I was there and you're telling me I, God, the one who spoke the universe into creation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, I'm not good enough for you. See ya. He doesn't respond to Elijah that way. He, he cares for him. He loves him. He pastors him. He continues to, to work on him. We can acknowledge, God, I feel so lonely. I feel so by myself, Lord, and I know, I know your presence is with me, but God, I feel so alone. But then we also have to recognize that God's word promises his eternal presence. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. Some people may leave you, but God never will. Comfort yourself by reminding yourself of this truth. God is with you, even during times of affliction. Scripture will say that he puts the lonely in families. We see that for, for Elijah, as he struggled with his loneliness, God brought him to Elisha. He put the lonely in families. The promise for us, for you, if you struggle with loneliness, if you struggle with being by yourself, if you're, you're here and you just think, Pastor, you have no idea. I have no idea. 
But God's promise is that he's got people for you. He's got your people. He's got your Elisha. He's got people that he, he will put you into a family. Maybe it's an f- actual nuclear family, or maybe it's some adopted people who will come alongside you like family. But God is with you. God sees you. God sees your heart and sees your circumstance. And he doesn't just tell you, hey, I'm enough. But he wants to work in your life. He has people for you. He has a family for you. And he's leading you to where he needs you to be. If you're able to, would you stand with me this morning as we close, close in prayer? Now, I went back and forth on how to have people respond to this because it's a pretty difficult thing to say to people who are feeling lonely, hey, would you acknowledge that you're lonely? In front of everybody else, would you acknowledge you're lonely? Because that's, a, that's like pushing people right where it hurts. That in front of all of these people, tell them you're lonely. Hmm. That, that might be hard. And I didn't want to be hard on you. I didn't want to make your loneliness feel more lonely. And so I'm not going to necessarily ask you if you're here and, and you're struggling with loneliness, if you're feeling abandoned, if you're feeling lost and all alone. I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself to me or, or even to God. Um, I mean, you can probably internally say, God, I need you on this one. But what I can, I can tell you is that with the deepest sincerity of my heart, that with every ounce of truth and honesty and passion that I can speak with, I can promise you that the Lord is with you. And as dark as it may be, as difficult as it may be, in the quiet moments of life, in the moments when you're at your lowest, when you're at the least, when you feel your loneliness, your loneliest, God is there. He will be with you. He loves you. He believes in you. He cares for you. He hasn't lost you. He hasn't forgotten you. And he hasn't abandoned you. He's right there with you this morning. And other mornings too. But, but let's, let's pray. Father God, we, we come before you today. And God, I'm reminded of the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane as you were nearing your betrayal, as you were were nearing the the time when you would be turned over and beaten and tortured and crucified, and and you went to your friends, you went to those closest to you, and you asked them, could you stay up and pray with me? And you went to go pray. And when you came back, you found them all asleep. God, I'm reminded of this moment in your life where you experienced loneliness where you experienced abandonment where you experienced what it was for the closest people around you to to leave maybe not physically but consciously and God I thank you that through that as we 
come before you today with hearts struggling with loneliness, with hearts that feel like we're invisible, that hearts that feel like we've been lost, why the, the family and the community around us has lost us. God, I thank you that as Hebrews tells us, we have a high priest who's well acquainted with the things we've gone through. And so, God, I thank you that as we come with hearts that are perhaps struggling with being lonely, God, I thank you that you know what loneliness feels like. And God, not just so that you can, can empathize with us, but that tells us, God, that, that you who know all things know how to heal us this morning. And so, God, I pray for each one here today who's struggling with loneliness who's struggling with a feeling of abandonment, who's maybe struggling with their relationship with you because of their loneliness and their abandonment. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, I pray for healing on their lives right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, even in this still, small, quiet moment, God, we pray for your healing hand to be upon their lives. God, touch them. God, speak to them right now. Speak to their heart. Speak to their life. Give them the assurance that you are there with them. God, speak to us. Show us your presence. Show us your presence in our lives. God, allow us to not feel lost to not feel abandoned, to not feel isolated, to not feel alone. And God, I pray that, that the promise that your word gives us, that you set the lonely in families. God, I pray for, for those who are feeling alone right now. God, would you bring them their people? Would you bring them their tribe? Would you bring them their family? God, set the lonely into families today. God, from the very beginning, you said it's not good for us to be alone. And out of that, you created Eve. God, would you create family for those who are lonely this morning? Create community. Create space for us to love and minister and, and be family to one another. God, heal us of our loneliness. Heal us of the weight of abandonment in our lives. And God set us free that we wouldn't have to live in the fear or the, the stress, the worry, the weight of being alone again. But God, fill us with your presence and bring us our people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm praying God come. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu, or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. 
At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family, we go. I'm praying God come and turn this thing around. Oh, yes. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. I'm calling on the name that changes everything. God is doing something.